are plugged in to the Outlet Radio Show with Azania Shanghai. Thank you for plugging into the Outlet Radio Show. I am your host, Azania Shangay. So my guest today has made quite the name for himself since the days of Little Brother. In addition to his role as a producer, working with the likes of artists like Jay-Z, Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar, just to name a few. He is also a DJ, record executive, and a professor. When I received word that he greenlit this interview, I hopped on a plane to North Carolina to observe him in his uh, natural habitat, so to speak. For three days, I spent time on the campus of Duke University where he teaches. I sat in on a few classes and I shadowed him for a day. And I can't even emphasize enough how cool that experience was. But Things kind of took a turn. I fell flat on my face at the top of the interview. When we jump into this interview, we're jumping in right after I had done about four or five failed attempts at his intro. And I'm sharing this with you because I was so defeated. I can't even tell you. And I'm sure many of you can relate. Still, I was really blessed because I was sitting across from someone who had the kind of compassion that I needed in that moment and the patience that that moment required and he waited for me to get it together and because he did I was able to kind of get my head back into the game and move forward and um, I wanted to share it with my audience because that's what we do we talk about the process and the process isn't always perfect right so We're going to jump into this interview right after that fourth or fifth failed attempt at his intro and um, notice the laughter that opens the interview. That's when I knew that we, we were good and we were okay. And that's when I knew we were back on track. So without further ado, here is my interview with the one, the only, the great Ninth Wonder. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? Oh my gosh. I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm I'm gonna I'm You're gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. Okay. <laughs> so um I'm really excited about having this conversation with you. Uh we talked earlier today and that conversation was incredibly like just riveting about why it is you've decided to go into academia and and speak to students to, to make sure that these these students coming up are educated about the history of hip hop and how it affects and influences not only the music that they hear today, but their community um, and just life in general. So one of the questions that I had for you was why was that so important for you? Why did why did that matter to you? I mean, for me, you know, we live in a hip hop generation and that generation, whether you want to say you listen to hip-hop or not some people think just because they don't listen to it they think they're not a part of it if you say the words i'm at the crib i'm chilling (laughs) if you say those words 
those are hip hop vernacular. Those yeah. are the things that come from, you know, people just sitting around making it up, which is a lot, a lot of what makes up hip hop. A lot of improvisation and a lot of, you know, off the cuff type of stuff. So, I've always wanted to understand more of it myself because I loved it so much. Uh, I've been listening to it for the last thirty, now thirty six, thirty five years. And I always wanted to know more about it. But not only that, I wanted people my age and either even people a little bit younger than me, all the way down to 18 years old, to know more about it as well. To know the beauty of it, to know where we come from, the influence, how it connects to the genres of music around us and before us. And, you know, just show people the wealth of knowledge of it. And so that's why I started to teach, to just, you know, give people that kind of knowledge they walk around with every day listening to hip-hop and they don't know where it comes from mm. so i thought that would be cool if if i started to delve into it for myself and at the same time for the people around me you know i found it really interesting because when we spoke earlier you said that initially you were studying history because you wanted to mm. be a history teacher mm. It's funny because in in many ways, that's exactly what you're it doing. It worked out. It all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what you're doing. You're still, you're teaching history. You're teaching basically from an area where you have a great deal of, it, of experience and mm. a, a sincere love and passion. Right. So we've experienced while sitting in on your class, we're, we're coming to know that a lot of these students don't make the connection from past to present. They're in many ways enjoying the music that's out right now. All right, of course. All right. So how do you go about getting them to care about that history? You know, several ways. You know, I think a lot of times when the older generation tries to get the next generation to care, they do a lot of megaphone teaching instead of trying to get them, finding ways they can get involved mm -hmm. or putting the culture in their hands. You know, talk about inspiration, talk about instruction, talk about what things matters to you. And then find the songs in hip hop history that relates to that. Mm -hmm. Or try to put them in a situation where it's modern day, but it's also the 1960s. And I think from, you know, the death of Trayvon Martin and, and Freddie Gray and Mike Bryant and everybody, you know, who, who was, you know, Sandra Bland, everybody was killed by police puts them back right back in the 1960s yeah. where where the time that they thought that why well, we still talking about civil rights that's over okay then here comes black lives matter mm -hmm. right and you know it kind of hits home with them and I, and I tell them i say man can you imagine you know when mike brown died you saw it everywhere you saw it yeah. all over facebook you saw it on everybody's twitter timeline right. instagram this is body laying on the ground i say can you imagine having Instagram in 1955 it'll be overwhelming yeah. you know what I mean and that just you know I always believe you have to meet them where they are to take them where you want to go and that's what I've been trying to do when it comes to talking about hip hop I just can't get up there and say Nas is the greatest I have to <laughs> tell them why Right. you know I would explain why and sometimes people just expect people I age expect them to say oh you know Karis when is it and that's how it is. This, you know, this generation are privy to a lot of information every day and they want to know why. Mm -hmm. So that's some of the methods I choose to use to get them involved. Yeah. 
You had said earlier when we were talking, you know, one of the questions that you ask your students is where they're getting their instruction from. Right. I loved that conversation. Would you mind explaining the context of that conversation about just why you feel like these kids should be maybe more invested in the lyrical content versus solely caring about music that they can dance to? Right. Because historically, for black and brown people, that's what we're built on. We we have survived. You know, we've made it to the north past the Mason-Dixon line with Harriet Tubman off a message. Right. You know, we made it over here for the ones that made it the voyage over here from Africa as slaves. It was because of a message because they passed words around in the 1920s and 1930s during their Jim Crow's the same thing, 1950s and 60s. You know, James Brown became the, like, leader of this soul and funk movement say aloud, I'm black and I'm proud. And that's always just been a fabric of our culture, to, just to be able to pass things through, me- through a message, but at the same time have accompaniment behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first ones to actually do that on camera actually was Langston Hughes. He, mm. he would say a poem, but it would be accompaniment in the background. And so once we go into hip-hop, out coming out of Gil Scott Heron and people like that, you know, for me, the message was coming from Chuck D. Mm. Because I I was in you know middle school and I had learned a lot about a lot of black people that were that did great things. I mean, Usual Suspects, Harry Tubman, Martin Luther King, Sojourner Truth, maybe you mm-hmm. learned about that. Mm-hmm. You know, Rosa Parks, this is Frederick Douglass, Booker T. It's the same ones. But it wasn't until I heard Chuck D say Huey Newton I had no idea who that was mm-hmm. you know what I mean and a lot of rappers during around that time you know whether it be Chuck whether it be Queen Latifah whether it been KRS even from the mouths of NWA I first learned about police brutality yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean and it was just a message that was being given to me the same message that was given to slaves to okay we're running in the morning Chuck D was telling me to run and I didn't even know mm. when I was seventh in the seventh grade. Wow. So, you know, that's kind of been a fabric of us. And then the message changed still over the years. And then we get to Biggie with 10 Crack Commandments. The message was mm-hmm. never get high on your own supply. And <laughs> we've always had some type of instruction through song. Mm-hmm. It's always been that way. But somehow, some way it got kind of lost Say we don't need that, and I think that comes from adapting other cultures that's not ours. And it is what it is. But I'm trying to get my students to understand that if I couldn't listen to my mom, if I couldn't listen to you know my teachers or somebody older than me, it was a rapper telling me something. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just the fact that now they it's kind of weird for them. And this is generally speaking. This is not every 18 to 19 year old that believes this. But um, generally speaking, a lot of them come to me and say, man, I never just, I didn't think I can get that from that. Mm. You know, I, that's not what I'm listening to it for. I'm not even listening to the words at all. Yeah. And, then, you know, some of those words can give you, it can be a treasure map in those words. You have no idea. Yeah. So. I, I, I um, spoke with your class today, which thank you again for allowing me to kind of talk to them. I was really curious to know what they get out of this experience because I'm so fascinated by the fact that they even have the opportunity 
because when I was in college, this there was there was not a class like this. It so was not. Right. This is like dope. Um, and I was curious to know, like, what are they hoping to get out of it? What are, what are they getting out of it? And one of the young ladies spoke about the fact that what she's learning from your class, and you teach a class with regard to cinema mm-hmm. and how it relates to hip hop. Right. She was talking about how it has kind of informed a lot of the lyrics that maybe she's heard and didn't really know right. the reference point, <laughs> right, right, which right, I could right. relate to. You can, I mean, yes, you absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> because I haven't seen, which I've learned through this the past few days you don't, want this interview, you. you don't want this interview to turn around, so you want to keep on going. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> but when she said that, it made me realize, like, that is in and of itself is, is really valuable because, like you said, sometimes there are there are things that, that rappers will say that has double meaning. And if right. you can kind of understand wh- what the, the influence was for the statement and what the flip side of it is, it brings a great deal of depth to their Absolutely. lyrics and Absolutely. it and, and a greater meaning to what it is they're trying to, to get across. Right. So it's really kind of dope to me that this is even an option to for for a student at any school, let alone at Duke University, which right. is pretty incredible. So that I mean, hats off to you. I've I've been kind of walking around in disbelief over the past couple of days <laughs> that this is like real. And what I was saying earlier to Rhapsody is that I feel like um, it's really kind of amazing for hip hop to be getting this this recognition, right? And um, for for it to be recognized that hip hop artists have served as the griots of our community, they're the truth tellers, and we have a record of what was going on in that particular day, in that age, in that time by just putting the album on. I mean. It's like you said, you know, when I teach my history hip-hop class, I talk about bar traditions in West Africa with the tribes. And in order for you to be a true sayer or a true speaker, you had to be a 13-year-old. And you were in charge for telling the tribe what happened throughout the day. And uh, it was a big responsibility to, if that kid in the 1600s can have a microphone in their hand, that was a responsibility to have that. So that's what that is. The responsibility to hold a microphone in your hand is so high because everybody's looking at you. Mm-hmm. You know, now what you want to do with that responsibility is two totally different things. And and on top of that, we don't want to give everybody that responsibility either. Right. I think we look at some young rappers and say, "Oh, he said this in an interview, or she said this." They shouldn't have said that. I'm like, do we want that to be our representative in the first place? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So let them say what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, but still, you know, everything serves a purpose. And I, I guess for this generation of kids, they don't know. They don't know what they're watching and what they're listening to, how deep it is, mm-hmm. how much depth it has. And so a lot of students, they learn a lot, not only about just hip hop, but just about life. You know, because I, I use hip hop as a gateway to talk about other stuff. This is just surface. This is to get you in here. Right. I'm trying to show you other things like uh, like in the cinema class, we talk about one of the first things we talked about was Hattie McDaniel. Mm. And I kind of walked them through the history of like the Oscars. Right. Mm-hmm. Just walked them through it. Um, but the way I started talking about that, I talked about Mahershala first. Mm. Yeah. That's what they know. Moonlight, you know right, what I mean. Right. I talked about Herschela and Viola Davis mm-hmm. fences. Right. So I talk about that, but I'm like that didn't start here. It took us a long time to get here, mm-hmm. right? 
And then we start talking about Denzel and and talking about the fact that no black person had won Best Actor or Best Actress is Sidney Poitier. Right. <laughs> like, it's 1960-something. Right, right. And so that kind of, like, makes him say, wow, like, I got him where I want him. So now we talk about Hattie and Dorothy Dandridge and, you know, Step and Fetch and all this type of stuff. And now they're so, they're into it. Because, again, I'm meeting them where they are. Mm. So take them where they want to go and they just learn a lot that way instead of me just, like, again, just spitting facts to them and, and expect them to accept it. Yeah. yeah. I know that for them to be able to sit in a classroom that is taught by you, mm. that is access that a oh lot boy. of people don't have. Oh, boy. And so they, are, they have access to a wealth of information and experience that right. is, you know, unmatched. But what do you get out of it? What have you gotten from your experience as a teacher? And what, what have your students given you? The word empathy. Mm. You know, the older hip-hop generation is unforgiving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are rough. Like, we don't... Everything young is garbage. Oh, that's garbage, garbage, <laughs> is garbage. Who is that garbage? That garbage. You know, I've learned empathy to understand why mm. a kid likes what he or she likes. Yeah. Instead of just up and calling garbage. I still may not listen to it. But now, if I learn the trajectory of the music that they've heard since they've been 11 years old, it's a natural progression, right? Right. I say all the time, judge a person by the first record they bought with their own money. Or in this situation, download it mm-hmm. on their own. That's not their parents' music. This is mine. My version of that was Biz Marquis going off. It's the first thing I bought with my own money. My first taste of hip-hop was Africa Band by the song Sonic Force. Then after that, I bought Criminal Minded, and I bought uh, Eric B. and Rakim Payton for, right? So if you look at that trajectory, it hasn't changed much mm-hmm. since then. So a lot of these kids, I asked them what was their first what was their first concert, and on top of that, what was their first taste of their own music that they say, my mom and dad ain't going to like this. Um, and a lot of them are Soldier Boy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That was my first rapper that I ever loved. So that's your trajectory. Right. Everything you loved about Soulja Boy, you're going to make sure, in most cases, that every rapper that's going to have a trait like that. Mm-hmm. You can't start off with Soulja Boy at age 10 or 11 years old and then get to 15 and somebody throw Kendrick Lamar in your face. You're like, wait a minute. This is a lot. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is, woo. Like, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. I, and I, mm-hmm. it took me a while to understand that, but you have to understand trajectory you have to understand history of music and the relationships these kids have with the music it's not the same as ours Mm -hmm. so it taught me empathy it taught me how to see things at least from their point of view i still may not like it but i understand why this kid does Mm -hmm. yeah so i you know i like you asked your students that question because now i'm like i'm excited to tell you what my first and what was that because i know that you are thinking i'm judging i know you're judging you would be proud, is all I'm going to say. Okay, okay. Okay, it was um, stakes is high. Wow, let me tell you something about God. You know God? <laughs> I know him. I just seen him. He just walked in here. Because I'm going to tell you. <laughs> let me tell you, podcast people. <laughs> I knew you would be proud if I told you I'm that. so proud of you. <laughs> This is De La Soul, Soul Texas. Yes, Texas, Texas De La Soul, Texas. Lord Jesus. I heard mm. it one time and I was like, I have to own that. And I 
that was the first boy that's a, was a great way to start you know that might have made up <laughs> for everything that we talked about earlier <laughs> we're not even gonna go into it. we can go into it because that's not fair to the audience and i'm a, i'm not ashamed you know i've been dealing with your ridicule most of the day so it's fine i'm okay so so you guys have some sort of idea of why ninth is calling on the lord right now um there are quite there are quite a few films that i have not seen let me me explain to the people (laughs) what the people need to understand is this you were born where now brooklyn new york i was born in brooklyn yes i don't want everybody to get this now i don't want to sound stereotypical (laughs) but you know you're born in brooklyn new york planet brooklyn (laughs) bedford stuyvesant yes Mm-hmm. Boy, let me tell you, party people. This is a one. This is a woman with full-blown natural hair right here. Okay, <laughs> who attended an HBCU? Not only they didn't want any HBCU, Howard University. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Founded 1867 <laughs> in Washington D.C., Chocolate City. Okay, I'm trying to build all this blackness up for you. <laughs> Before I tell you that she's never seen New Jack City. Now, this is what I'm trying to explain. <laughs> I don't understand how. Usually when I meet somebody that is of a, a darker hue, it, you know, they act a certain way. They got a certain vibe to them. Yeah, I kind of get why you ain't seen New Jack. I kind of get why you ain't seen Juice. I kind of get why you ain't seen Menace. I kind of get these things. None of this resume is adding up. The resume is off. Bed Stuy, natural hair, <laughs> Howard University, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. No juice. I just did them <laughs> trying to. So, but you explain why. So the film that the students saw today in, in ninth, ninth <laughs> cinema class was, was juice. juice. And I made the mistake of mentioning that I had not seen this film, and then it sparked a very interesting discussion where not on not only that she didn't see jews she did not attend any howard homecoming festivities <laughs> all of this is confusing to me i'm trying to understand why i understand why you're very driven in college i was very driven i was yes. okay mm-hmm. and your parents didn't let you see movies such that had a lot of crime in it mm-hmm. you understand this is correct this knocks out juice it knocks out dead presidents. Yes, I in New see Jack that. City. Didn't you didn't see House Party neither, which had no crime. It had <laughs> cops, no crime. <laughs> Jason's lyric had some crime in it, but you did see Love Jones, which started a Shea Butter conversation. But we're not going to go there. So, and I did not coin the phrase Shea Butter. Guy did. That's a guy's thing. Yeah. That's a guy thing. Mm-hmm. My man Guy. So yeah. Everybody, it's a conundrum. It's a, it's a juxtapose. <laughs> I'm not understanding. So this is why I think this program at Duke is <laughs> so awesome <laughs> and so important because there are people like me who did not grow up exposed to the culture in the way that maybe a ninth wonder maybe was, and so to have an opportunity to be um, taught by by someone. Who is so knowledgeable and who can kind of break it down piece by piece, analyzing it? I think it's so dope. Like I really want to see Juice, but I feel like yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna 
get it the way I would if I was sitting in the Nah, you'll class. get it. You'll get it, man. It's it's a very straightforward movie. You'll get it. When you see it, you know, it's going to, you're going to feel a way about it. But you're going to see it. So I'm going to be sending ninth. Um, well, Guy said he's going to make me a list of films that I have oh, to man, see. Oh, man, I'm so afraid. And I'm going to be sending ninth little <sighs> messages on Twitter when I watch them to say I saw X, Y, and Z. We ain't even asked about, like, Harlem Nights and stuff like that. That's my favorite movie of all time. Okay, now we, now we'll get back on the plus side. Stakes <laughs> is high and Harlem Nights. Hey, we back in Harlem it. Harlem Nights is my favorite movie We back in of it, man. Time. We back in it. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how in the world you saw Harlem Nights and didn't see. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> so um one of the things that i noticed when i was attending the classes um at duke is that they vary in size mm-hmm. is it a new program here i guess growing an in interest on campus my my beat class my production class is capped what's your limit 18 wow so is my cinema class is capped mm. The history of hip hop class is, is like a core class. It's like a your psych one on one class. It's mm-hmm. two hundred students. Lecture, yeah. <laughs> right. Very interactive, but it's still lecture style. So um but the other classes is capped. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure for my beat class, if I didn't cap it, it'd be fifty students. <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. Um but yeah, most of most of them are capped. But it, it is a rising interest. Because again, you know, this is a practitioner teaching it. Mm-hmm. This is not somebody who bought a bunch of, bunch of books and read, a, listened to a couple of albums. And said, hey, I'm teaching about. You know, I've been a fan of so many years. Now I'm a participant, a practitioner of it, that I can teach it. Mm-hmm. And uh, just for that, like you said, people want that experience because I'm carrying around a lot of stuff that I can talk about. Some that I can't, but they get to ask me directly about things. And for example. I've been involved in two Kendrick Lamar albums, one as an engineer, recording engineer, and one as a producer. Mm-hmm. This last one in particular, you know, I, I did Duckworth, which is the last song on the album. So my students, who some of them are TDE fans, some of them are Kendrick Lamar fans, you know, I've known about the song since last summer, mm-hmm. since summer of 2016, that the song, ex- song existed. But I'm having students all year long ask me about Kendrick, and I could say nothing about it. Mm. So... Imagine the day the album comes out and they see their professor's name <laughs> <laughs> as one of the producers. So when I came to class the following Wednesday, oh my God. <laughs> it's surreal for them sometimes because a lot of them think they're not supposed to be that close to anybody that's famous or a celebrity. They, that's something they just see on television. They're not supposed to be that close. And they find out that they are. Um, my... My students take me these things called flunches, the faculty lunch. Mm-hmm. And so my students come to me at the middle of the semester, can we do a flunch with you? <laughs> so we go out a lot of times. I get taken out like three, four times a semester. <laughs> but I met, I was at a flunch last semester, um, in the spring semester, and my phone rang. And I had my phone on the table. And it my students were sitting beside me, and it read Kendrick Lamar. Oh, my God. Oh, conniption. <laughs> wait, wait. Wait, y'all, wait. <laughs> so I pick up the phone. I say, what's up, man? And they just, like, looking at him, staring at me, like, <laughs> trying to hear him through the phone, because I'm not on speakerphone, trying to hear him through the phone. And they're like, 
he's talking to him for real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or the time I took my central students, I took them out. I take them out because I we play Jeopardy in the class and the and the winning group gets I take them out to eat. Yeah. So we went out to eat and um Buster Rounds FaceTime me. Oh my god. Conniption. I can relate to that. Conniption though. and you know, it's just that type of closeness that I have. Or I'm close to the game like that or I'm in the game that they mm-hmm. can get first hand experience. But it also lets them know that it's real and it's attainable. Yeah. So I think it's easy to forget that you have that kind of access like that you have these relationships with people because i'm in their face all the time that too but you are the most down to earth person i feel like i'm sitting with my family member right now i feel like i feel like we cousins it's supposed to be i feel like why you you say cuz like because i would have to have a southern accent (laughs) i mean i feel like we cousins and i mean the way first of all you have the natural southern hospitality so you made me feel welcome from day one like i was telling kels that walking in here feels like i'm walking into someone's home we're in your studio i feel like i'm walking into someone's home and i feel like i'm around family everybody's just fairly cool everybody's really inviting and warm Yeah, because i break their neck if they ain't it's it's you've set a tone here and then every (laughs) every interaction we've had you have clowned me like we are relatives yes um you don't get clowned now come on (laughs) And so I can see how your students can kind of forget that you have. You're just so cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I get like, it. I get just, it. I just kind of forget that this is your life. In right, real, right, Like right. outside of these doors, outside of these halls, that this is these are the people with whom you, you rub elbows, with whom you work. Every day. People who, who have such high regard and respect for you. Right. Like it's it's easy to forget. I guess, I guess for me, because maybe if this would have happened to me when I was 16 or 18, by the time I'm 24, I'm totally removed from people. Yeah. When you become famous or infamous, you're hanging around everyday people is not what you do anymore. Mm-hmm. You got bodyguards. You got this. You got that. You got people talking for you instead of, you know, that type of thing. I spent the first 28 years as everyday person. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I spent that. I, you know, I... I I went to school. I ate oodles and noodles just like other, all other college <laughs> students. You know what I mean? I, I did all of that. I, I dropped out of school. I hit rock bottom. I became a college student, and then I dropped out and became a local, as we call locals, that didn't go to school. And I stayed in an apartment with six dudes and two beds, and I slept on the floor. I slept on the couch. I had two pair of pants. I had I did all. I went from one ex, one extreme to another. And then I started making a way in music, and here we are. So, And I never left North Carolina to do it. Mm. So, I mean, mm. for me, I don't know how to be no other, other way. Mm-hmm. Now, I am learning that don't be so humble that people forget who you are. Mm. Oh, wow. And, I, and, and I've, I'm, I've learned that. I've learned that, you know, sometimes I have to gate myself. Sometimes I can be down to earth and be myself. Sometimes I can... Sometimes I need to be standoffish and you don't need to talk to me. Right. Because. Boundaries. Boundaries. Everybody doesn't get that. Regular people don't give everybody that privilege. Right. You know, but you have to do something. Though I have to feel a certain energy from you not to be that way. Mm-hmm. For To be that way, I have to feel it. If I feel a weird vibe from you and feel like you're mean spirited, nah, you ain't getting close. Right. But if you, you come in here, you're a guest in our house, this is what it is. This is how we are. 
That's how I teach all of my artists to be. Don't get too big, you know what I mean? Or if you feel like you are too nice, we'll talk for you. Mm-hmm. And I've and I've learned to have people to talk for me. That, nah, you can't get that close to him. But I just don't know how I was to be. Yeah. I just don't know how to be that, to be. Because I think when I first saw Outkast, I thought they were kinfolk. Mm-hmm. You know? Our best and brightest in hip hop, they were superstars, but at the same time, it's somebody we knew that was a kinship with it. Right. Now people are so large in their life, they're so removed, and you don't even know if you know them. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. even know if you want to know them. You want to marvel at what they've done and, and revel at their fame, but do you want to hang around them? Maybe to get a picture. Yeah. But when I first saw Black Star, I was like, yo, I want to be around these dudes, you know? I want to be around this guy. I want to be around, you know, Lady of Rage. I want to be around her. You know what I mean? So for me, I guess it's just, I carry that same thing because that's just the essence of black music to me. Yeah. So. You mentioned that you hit rock bottom. Yeah. So what was your rock bottom and how did you, how did you find your way out of your rock bottom and still retain this, and this, this love for, for what it is that you do? I created my own rock bottom. Like, when people hit rock bottom is because some people, a lot of people hit rock bottom because of decisions you may or may not make. Mm-hmm. I created my own rock bottom the day I went home and told my mom I'm dropping out of school. Whoa. Imagine that conversation. <laughs> How did that go? To a woman who's been in education for the last 40 years. Mm. My mom dropping out of school. To do what, boy? <laughs> I want to be a music producer. I want to make beats for a living. Imagine telling at the time. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Telling her this at age 57, 58. Boy, you want to what? Yeah. I want to be a music producer. I want DJ for a living. You know? And she looked at me and she told me, well, you on your own. And, and to be, you know, I, I talk to my students all the time, like, look, go, go to grad school, man. Go to grad school. You, when you get out of college, go straight to grad school. You don't start your job hunt by sophomore, junior year, and you get out. You got about three weeks until you the nigga on the couch. <laughs> you graduate from college, the honeymoon is the, is the graduation. They're going to have your little dinner. They're going to have your little dinner. The grandma going to come down. You're going to get the cards all over the place. You're going to get all this money and all these cards and all this. And everything going to be great. Once you move back home, you got about three weeks. <laughs> to whoever you move back in with is going to look at you and say, so what's up with that degree you got, dog? Mm-hmm. You paid all this money. Mm-hmm. What's up with it? That is the truth. Mm-hmm. Got you a job? <laughs> what you go to school for? Like, because the generation before us thinks college, job. Absolutely. And since technology has made its climb, a lot of jobs we might have had coming out of college is gone. Oh, yeah. So now people are graduating going home. As for me, I told my mom I was dropping out. And she wasn't happy about it. So she said, you on your own. Some people who graduate from college with no job and stay at home, even if they get yelled at, and they ain't on their own. They can still go to the refrigerator. They can still eat. Light's still on. Mm-hmm. Ain't no bills coming in their house. Mm-hmm. She said, you on your own, son. And so I had, at that time, it was 2001. I had a five-year-old son mm-hmm. and an eight-month-old child. Wow. And I was like, wow. At age 25, I said, bro. But only the one thing that kept me alive was the fact that I was making beats on a computer 
and it was homies in the neighborhood buying it for fifty dollars. Wow. Right. And then it became people I didn't know. First it was like homies that wanted to rap. Then it became, oh, my man, you don't know him. I played my beats in the car. Played the beats you gave me in the car. He wanna buy two from me. He coming by today. Oh. So now it turns into you seen Peyton Fool. Man, I can't even use it no, as a No, I record. haven't seen it. Why do you have to break the mood like this? For the people who seen Peyton Fool. <laughs> people. There's a scene where A played uh, by Woody Harris. There's a scene that he first starts selling dope. Mm. And he just stumbled on something. He starts selling it. And my man said, how much? He said, 35 dollars I said, man, it's cheaper than anybody. Boy, this stuff good. Like, what you doing? And he was like, he was like, you sure you don't want no more? He's like, no. Nah. That's how I was when I was selling beats. I was like, damn, like, man, these beats hot. You sure you don't want $200? Nah, man, just give me, give me what you got. Mm. So I told myself, once that clientele started to build up, I said, these people are paying me and don't know me from Adam. Because this is happening in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm. It might can happen in Texas. Right. It might can happen in Florida. I just haven't found a way to get to them. And so I just kept making beats. That's what kept me alive. I was working at a smoothie shop. And I was, instead of spending my money on food all the time, I would trade bagels with, I would trade smoothies with the bagel place next door. Mm. I would do that for sometimes. I'd take them about three, four smoothies. They'd give me like 10 bagels with like sausage and all that. Mm. So, I mean, I did that for a while. And at the time, Fonte was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And he had a um, degree, summa cum laude, in English. And he was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield and, and recording at nighttime. Big Pooh was living in Charlotte. So that's when we started to get together and started recording music and became Little Brother. Mm. And so people was gravitating towards our music. We put it up on um, the internet and the post went crazy and went up on OK Player. All of these, I even use this method now, like we celebrate every victory. Celebrate every victory that you have. And whether it be big or small, I don't care if it's somebody tweeted something that somebody famous has tweeted something from one of us or whatever retweeted that's a victory you need to celebrate yeah and so that's what we were doing at lb we were celebrating all our victories instead of counting our losses until one day music soul child called house you've got to be kidding me and it was funny because at the time you know this is when people still got house phones <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny at the time he called the house and asked to speak to ninth wonder my boy was like, hey, Pat, somebody on the phone asked for Knife Wonder, man. And I'm tripping because nobody was using my name, stage mm -hmm. name at the time. So I was like, who is he? He said, man, I don't know. So I got on the phone. What's up, man? What's going on, man? It's, it's Knife. It's Knife Wonder. I said, yeah. He said, man, I love your music. Bob. I was going on and on and on and on. And you know how you be on the phone with people trying to figure out who it is, trying to contact clue, context clues, figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I asked him. I said, man, you don't mind me asking, man, but who am I speaking to? Mm -hmm. On my bed, it's a music soul child. I dropped the phone. <laughs> and so, I can imagine. That's what it was for me. Celebrating every victory that I had. We ended up in Source Magazine after that. We met Quest Love after that. Quest took a liking to us. He endorsed us in the story. So, I was using those particular pillars and stepping stones to just get me to the next mile marker. Yeah. Instead of looking way down the road and, and I can't see a million dollars right now, so I'm going to give up. If I'm selling beats for 50, let me see if I can sell beats for 200. 
well, maybe I could sell beats for 300 Then five. Mm -hmm. That's what I was looking at. And if I move up, I'm like, well, I'm moving up slowly. And I've been on that marathon ever since. It's always been 65 miles an hour for me. It's never been 100 miles an hour for me. But that was my rock bottom. That's what it was. You know, I find it... I, I, I love the fact that you said that you started out selling your beats for 50 to the point where people are like, you sure? Because, you know, sometimes... And I'm, and I'm wondering if you've had this conversation with your students because I know that sometimes they just want to come out the gate bank, asking bank for... Bankroll. <laughs> bankroll. Yeah, you can't do that. And I, and I like the fact that you were kind of pacing yourself and you were building enough to, to get by. And then you, you know, in increments, raised it up. But I wonder if your, your ability to be consistent under those circumstances had anything to do with the fact that you had these two young people depending on you i don't know because at the time i was a better father to my one-year-old than i was my five-year-old mm. because when i had my son i wasn't ready for him mm -hmm. wow and you know i think a lot of times fathers speaking for black fathers you know we're making babies young and and it's hard for us to look in the mirror and say i wasn't the best father in the beginning Cause I wasn't ready. Mm. I was a baby raising a baby. Mm. It's not an excuse, but it is what it is. But when I got my my one year old, you know, I was learning to be a better one and learning to be a better one with her and take it back to him, you know. And and that's what that's what was tough, you know, for me at the time. But it was it was it was that, and it was also survival for mm. me. And at the same time, you know, I come from a a crew of friends, you know, who's We've been friends since middle school. It's about nine of us. Mm -hmm. One of which is the product manager and is my assistant, but also the product manager for Jamla Records. I've been knowing her since we've been 13 years old. Wow. You know, she went to law school at Ole Miss. She went to school with me, undergrad at North Carolina Central. I have another friend. He's a PhD. He teaches at Clayton State in African-American studies. I have another friend. He is a PhD in sociology at the College of Charleston. Another one is a pharmacist. Another one is a sports agent. Like, we're well-to-do kids. We've done good for ourselves. Yeah. At that particular time, I think my boy Ant, who was the Ph.D. at Charleston, and Jay, who was the Ph.D. at Clayton State, they were just getting their doctorate degrees. We all had great grades in high school. We all made packs to stay in touch with each other. We all was like our check and balance system. But look at that boy sleeping on the couch. Mm -hmm. So, for me, you know, my boy Ant, he was... Just finished his PhD in the University of Miami, and he came to see me. And he looked at me, he said, when well, last time you ate, dog? I said, three days. Wow. And he was like, come on, man, let's go to Bojangles. And he took me to Bojangles, and we ate. And, you know, he said, man, why you ain't reach out? I said, because I'm ashamed. I was, I was ashamed. Mm -hmm. and, and that was tough for me because it was like we were all supposed to be the kids that made it. Look at me, smart kid in, in AG classes and honors classes, just like my friends. And I'm sleeping on somebody's couch. So that was a drive for me, too. Yeah. I wanted to make myself proud and also let my friends know that I ain't let them down neither. Mm. That I ain't holding my part of the bargain and my part of the pack. So that was a drive for me to just keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going until I, you know, I just put it in my mind. There is no finish line. Mm. And and that's what it was. Oh, I love that. No finish line. Was there any any part of you that wanted to show your mom that this was something that... It Yo. actually happened. 
You know, it's funny, man. It wasn't until like in 2005, 2006, 2007 when I really started to see some money from this thing. Now I have a house and a couple of cars in the driveway and, you know. Sneakers. Sneakers. <laughs> right? That going on and my mom finally asked me like, so what is it exactly that you do? Really? <laughs> Not to say that I did anything illegally, but just like explain to me what you do, right. son, because I don't know anything about hip hop. Mm-hmm. Explain to me what you. And so it's been kind of weird for her. So I mean, she gets it now. You know, it took a while mm-hmm. because again, she comes from another generation. But you know, once I really when I got when I started teaching and all that, it really hit home for her because it's education. Yeah. So yeah. Where did the name Bright Lady come from? I know that's the name of your studio. Bright Lady is my sister. Um, Mm -hmm. That was her nickname. She passed away in 1977. Wow. I was two years old. Mm. I don't remember her. I have only one recollection of her. When I was young, she was walking me across the street and holding my hand. I don't remember her face. I don't remember her at all. Mm. Like, you know, but she died in a car accident at age 12. So I named my studio Bright Lady because that was a nickname. Wow. No, she's really beautiful. She's really beautiful. Yeah, man. It's just, you know, as I kind of take in your space, you, (laughs) I mean, amongst your love for collectors' items and things, you clearly Mm -hmm. have a sincere connection and appreciation to your roots and your history and your story and your culture. A lot of South Africa up in here, I'm seeing. Yeah, come on now. Come New on, Malang. come on, South Africa. New Malang. And and then the way in which you tie it into the curriculum so that the, the students understand that link. Right. You are doing a, such a huge service here. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you ever stop and just pause in the moment and kind of get that this, this responsibility <laughs> that this... <laughs> That has been laid on you by whatever forces. Like, you are in such a a powerful position. And you you do it with so much sincere honor and respect for what you're teaching. Like, you really care about about the subject matter. And you care about the the people with whom you're teaching it to. Yeah. It's my life's blood, man. Do you you get, like, do you ever have a moment where you get the gravity of this? I get the tripping. Yeah. Sometimes, like, it may take for me to watch this interview to get it. It may take for me to watch some of the documentaries I've done. That like, yo, man, that's a trip. You know, just going to the Smithsonian and seeing myself in there. It's like it's unreal. Like it's unreal sometimes for me. You know, but all I ever wanted to do is be good at beats. <laughs> it's like I know, you know, I love what I'm doing now, but you know, I wanted to be great at making beats. The yeah. feeling of making beats and making a great beat is like, you know, euphoric for me. It's, 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 music is my sanctuary so you know all the stuff that came with it I didn't expect mm-hmm. and maybe because I didn't expect it mm-hmm. then I'm like if I expected it yeah I'm no I'm you know what I'm saying but <laughs> but I didn't expect any of it so I'm like well what's next yeah you know what's 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 coming next you know to say about six or seven universities now to go to Harvard for a year to teach and to do research without a degree. Mm-hmm. To teach at Duke without a degree. Central. North Carolina Central. UPenn. To speak at Cornell twice. Yeah. Without a degree. To speak at the University of Virginia for a week. 
to do a, a master class and lecture in the Thomas Jefferson Rotunda, you know, without a degree, to be on a, a committee at the Smithsonian and now a, a, a council at the Kennedy Center. What? Yeah, man. Wow. It's like all I've ever wanted to do is make beats. And making beats brought you. Brought All of you. this. Yeah. Man, it brought me a long way. Oh my God, it's so amazing. Oh. I, I, you know, I we talked about this earlier, and I and I found it hard to believe, but you said that at some point you are very clear. I'm stopping. That you are going to stop and and go 100% into the academia. And and, and let's be clear, I'm, I'm gonna stop. Trying to forge my way, force my way into the industry. Make sure I'm heard on a wavelength that everybody else has heard. I'm stopping that. When I stop making beats, nah. When I stop listening to music, absolutely not. But when I stop just trying to, the rat race of every day, trying to check Twitter, and I'm on Twitter, and, and all of that, yeah, I don't know about that. I can teach till I'm 80. Yeah. And, and that's, you know. That's the goal, but I mean, really, I'm a hundred percent in academia now. Like, yeah. I, I am, you know, I get as a year, I get as many lecture opportunities and lecture gigs around the country that I do DJ gigs. Wow! And sometimes I get both. You want to do a lecture, and then you want to do a DJ <laughs> after. <laughs> Good God! You know, I get that a lot. You know, I am truly making it up as I go along. Like I am really just, What can I do next I'm like making this stuff up as I go along 100% And the the added benefit is You said health insurance Let me tell you <laughs> getting, getting your teeth clean and, and, and <laughs> Let me tell you something man Like hip hop has no Medical and dental benefits When you work for the state of North Carolina <laughs> you get that good good yeah and as you get older you start understanding that these yeah. things really matter health insurance is mortality man yeah, for real it's like you know you start thinking about that stuff yeah i need some of that so that's that's the beauty of it all that i can still be in this thing and i definitely have my feet in two different worlds yeah it's all hip-hop to me but you know it's, it's all in the same umbrella so it works out well what i love and I'm going to I'm going to close this out here. What I love is that you're doing a lot. You you're doing your music, academia. You're doing you're doing what you want. You're enjoying yourself and these students get to see somebody living that life and they right. they can see that that possibility exists. Right. And it's something that if they choose they can, that kind of possibility can exist for them too. Absolutely. And I love that they get to see that, that they get to have that experience because that's awesome. You gotta see one to be one. Absolutely. Oh, all these little quotables, man. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who want to follow you, who want to like look into what you're doing, follow your progress with the Smithsonian, um, follow your lectures and your lecture circuit, and also definitely your music. How can they follow you? What's the best way? Uh, on Twitter, at Ninth Wonder, 9-T-H-W-O-N-D-E-R. Same goes for Instagram. Um, that's where a lot of people get a lot of the information, what's going on with me from. Uh, www.jamla, J-A-M-L-A, records.com. Um, also, I am a part of an organization called Black Jedi Zulu. Um we were uh, formerly a part of the Universal Zulu Nation, but we separated and we became our own entity. Um, 
I brought that up because um, we are doing a program called Kids Love Beats. Mm. And uh, we are giving away, you know, I use, to make beats, I use uh, Machine MK2. It's, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, sponsor, made by Native Instruments. And so what we're doing uh, is we are gifting kids with beat machines. And, you know, for the, for the parents who got a kid that's special and has a gift, wow. but they don't have a chance to, you know what I mean? Like, I was that kid. My mom was fortunate. My mom and dad was fortunate enough to me to give me keyboards for Christmas, every Christmas. And fortunate enough for me to get a clarinet when I was in the band and all of that. But some parents, they don't know where to start. They don't know what to go get. Right. And, you know, their kids got this, like, kinetic energy that they want to just express themselves. Or a teacher might say that they need, have ADHD. We all got ADHD. Like, what is that? Like, you know, I make up all this crazy stuff. So, you know, Native Instruments came to me and said, listen, man, like, we see you do a lot with the schools. You know, we're going to give you machines to give away. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give some away. I'm giving something to Duke. I'm giving something to North Carolina Central. There's a wow. few there's a few community community centers back home I'm giving some to. Um there's a few community centers here I'm giving some to. And um there's a high school back home that I'm we're gonna put a B lab in. And the oh, rest my God. rest we're just gonna get a random children. That somebody might hit me up and say, My son, da 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 Black Jedi gonna show up to their door and just <laughs> why not shoot that is so incredible so yeah oh my goodness that's incredible so that's from black jedi zulu but you don't know what a jedi is so it's, <laughs> it's pointless i will know what a jedi is very soon i'm gonna watch the movie i promise okay oh my God. that is incredible that's so admirable <sighs> good time i just Good time. I just I, I'm I'm so inspired by the fact that this is your charge to to really be to give back to give. It's, it's just, a wonderful feeling to give, man. It's wonderful. It is. It is. <laughs> I, I don't even. I'm so speechless. I because I'm I'm really blown away by everything you just said. Like this, that's that is huge. Ugh. I'm so grateful to you for allowing me to do this interview because I think I honestly believed. That when you found out that I hadn't seen Star Wars, that it was it was a wrap. Um, yeah, I, I, I had because pray your on that. look, <laughs> you said, "Fix it, Jesus." I had to pray. That's literally what you said. Fix it, Jesus. <laughs> and so it it means so much to me that um, you, one you agreed to the interview because then I was like, okay, I can buy my plane ticket. So for me to come out here and get to witness this in person and see what you guys are doing at Duke. And what you've been doing at other schools, I, I, I swear to you, I'm blown away. I'm so like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to go back to school now. You gotta go back. I feel like I gotta go back. I think this is incredible what you're doing, and you know, my, my hope in life is to be a contribution, to leave some sort of footprint like this. Oh man. You, so I'm you looking at what you're doing, and I'm so inspired. Thank you. I really, really am, and Thank I, you. and I hope you get the, the gravity of what you're, what you're doing. I don't. I don't, and I and I like it that way. You're a huge contribution, and and I think you're changing the world, and you don't even realize it. Nah, I don't. Know. Okay, good. Don't don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Poor person. 
So this has been an amazing conversation. If you guys want to continue to follow the Outlet Radio Show, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook and on Instagram at Outlet Radio Show. And if you want to follow me personally, feel free at I am Azania Shange. That's I am Azania Shange. Guys, this has been incredible. Ninth, seriously, dudes. Good times. You are out of control. And since y'all got a Twitter handle, tweet this child some movies. <laughs> You want to help me out? Let's tweet us a movie. Let's do that. Let's get a movie game. You are out of control. Like, I mean, honestly, I think you should also consider doing comedy. Nah, man, it's real life. Tweet this child some movies. This is what we need to do. I am Azania Shange. Oh, my God. Juice. I am Azania Shange. New Jack. You can do that. Please. Thank you. Oh, my God. All right, guys. Thank you so much for plugging into the Outlet Radio Show. Until next time, take care. What's going on, world? Grammy Award winner producer, DJ, and college professor, Ninth Wonder. And you're checking out the Outlet Radio Show with Azania Shange.